You're listening to TGP Extra. Hello, everybody. Welcome to TGP Extra for the 24th of July, 2012. The reason why I'm making this uh, episode of TGP Extra is that um, I was inspired to do so by a Skype conversation that I had with Lloyd Bailey yesterday. And we were talking about various regional accents and I was trying to explain to Lloyd the differences between with a West Country accent, a Buckinghamshire accent and a Norfolk accent and I was having difficulty because they are very similar styles of accent. So what I thought I would do is play you some recordings of a couple of these accents so that you can hear the differences. Now, the first clip I'm going to play you doesn't need much of an introduction. It's basically a clip taken from Audioboo uh, that I put up uh, a few months back. I recently listened to some recordings made by a um, friend of mine who's a historian, and it made me think about regional accents and how some regional accents are dying out. For example, the Buckinghamshire accent has virtually died out. This was due to the London overspill in the early 1960s onwards, where obviously the the regional accent, the Buckinghamshire regional accent, has been diluted over the years and is now what you could probably call a Mockney accent. I'll play you a little bit of this recording. Um, it's uh, my friend Carl Vaughan, uh, talking to an old gentleman called Bob Hinton, um, who was born in 1905, and he's talking about a World War One German tank that was displayed in Kingsbury Square in Aylesbury um, during the 1920s. Now you listen to this lovely accent that he's got, and it's fantastic to hear, but unfortunately... Bob Hinton died shortly after his 100th birthday in 2005. So, once again, it's an accent that we might not hear for very much longer. So it blew up, didn't it? Well, they say... When they, when they were taking it apart. They may have said they did. <laughs> but I was, us kids was around when they moved it. But there might have been a little explosion, but nothing to worry about. Oh, oh no, it might have been a little drop of fumes <laughs> in the tank. Yeah. Nothing to worry about. So there were stories about oh, things right. flying through the air. and No, there was <laughs> nothing whatsoever. It was just a lot of so-and-so. It was removed quite quietly out of the way. I remember them bringing it to Ellsbury and putting it up there. And, it, and that was there a number of years, and they quietly removed it. Nothing at all happened to it. The next clip I'm going to play you is from the Time and Tide Museum in Great Yarmouth. Now, it's a fantastic place to go. If you're ever in Great Yarmouth, look it up. Uh, it's actually on the sightseeing bus route, and it tells you the history of Great Yarmouth through its roots, uh, herring fishing, right up to the modern day seaside town and it is really worth a visit. What the clip entails is a 
group of people with the Norfolk accent and they are acting out extracts from people's diaries from the 1900s actually I think it's 1912 um, on the on the stroke of 1912-1913 the information is taken from there and reenacted so um, I hope you enjoy the land lovers laid on we below. Aha! Is that a sea monster I hear? Oh, you sea monster, if I hear that song one more time, I'll shut you up for good! Landlubbers, no appreciation. Never mind her next door. Welcome to me cabin, as I calls it. Harry Buckle's the name. Been at sea all my life, till last year. Oh, I could tell a tale. See all them souvenirs I got? Picked them up from the four corners of the world I did. The Southern Ocean, the Spice Islands, the China Seas. Most days you'll find me down on the seafront. Still can't walk straight on dry land. Too many years rolling with the sway of the ship. I've got a steady hand, though. Come from doing carvings to while away the hours at sea. And that's what I do now. I carve out souvenirs and sells them to the holiday makers. I do ships. Lighthouses? Of course, that's where my heart is. Had one of these new factory work strips in Yarmouth early in the year. 7,000 of them come. They reckon there were 14 train loads. Sold some carvings that day. Drank some rum and all. But the sea's still in my blood. The kids here in the row call me Captain Buckle. They love those hateny dolls, and I let them have me old woodbine boxes to use as beds for them. Yeah, I makes a living. Alice Lamb, parlourmaid and widow, that's me, mostly widow. Alfie, my husband, was a skipper on a drifter. He fought hard for what he got. He owned a share of the boat and got a bit on top for the responsibility. Then he and my son Edward got the diphtheria. Both were gone before I knew what was happening. Oh yes, I'm better off than most, but do I think I'm above the rest? Not likely. I'd change places with Eliza Swan any time. Her husband might be away at sea most of the time, but at least she knows he's coming home. Me? I've got nothing to look forward to. Alfie was a real captain. Not like that Harry Buckle. Captain Buckle? The man's a dreamer. No wonder they put him off the boats before his time. And that Eliza Swan, look at the way she lords it over the poor Scots girl who lodged with her. She's so proud of being cleaner than the rest of us. I've seen her dragging her bathtub along the row when she thinks it's too dark for anyone to see her. She couldn't even afford a morning crate when her brother died without calling on the pawnbroker. Me and Alfie, we had plans to get out of here. When he went, they went too. But I know what's right and good. I give what little I have left over to charity. The Deep Sea Fisherman's Mission. I do lots of fundraising for them. It's a way of remembering Alfie and helping make life better for others. For all Eliza Swan's talk about having the cleanest doorstep in the street, I reckon I've got the cleanest conscience. So what, anyway? My Alfie's gone. A real captain he was. When I was younger, 
I'd watch my father at work. Like me, he was a sailmaker. Every new drifter that was built was bigger than the one before it. In my grandfather's day, they were no more than 25 feet long. But the drifters they built when my father run the business were twice that length. They had huge sails and masts that stood over 50 foot above the deck. That got to the point where winches were needed to raise them. They'd become far too heavy for the old-fashioned block and tackle. As sailmakers, we prospered, although I don't think any of us give it a thought at the time. By the time my son was born, things had begun to change. Steam drifters had started to appear. Even the latest sailing drifters were dwarfed by these. Woodbines, we called them, because their tall funnels looked just like cigarettes. There was a mizzen sail, which helped steady the boat when its nets were out, but otherwise nothing that meant work for our business. At first I thought the steamers would never replace the sailing boats, too expensive you see, but they were faster and more powerful, so they carried more nets and could get back to port sooner and gain the best prices. Horace Fennison, eh? Me and the missus is a team. That's right, ain't it, Alice? As you say, Ori. I catch them, she cook them. Beautiful creatures, shrimps are. Every morning I leave at dawn on the first ebb and return on the flood tide so the wife can prepare the shrimps for afternoon tea. She boil them in the copper. That's right, ain't it, Alice? No word of a lie, Ori. Mind you, some day he's fair exhausted from not having slept the night before. Not just me. Many of us local fishermen help man the lifeboat. Some nights, just as I'm getting off to sleep, the bell rings and I think, here we go again, another one's hit the sandbank. I always go down to the beach to see him off when he's called out with a lifeboat. And I stay there till he's safely back again. Not that he's back for long before he's off catching shrimps again. Well, they're our livelihood, ain't they? When the shrimps are ready, we measure them out into paper bags using these pots we have. One pot for points, the other for half points. Then the missus puts the bags into the baskets and they're ready to sell. In the summer, when the holiday makers are here, she take her baskets out onto the streets, don't you, Alice? I put my best penny and bonnet on and off I go. I find a busy stretch of pavement and I sit myself down and watch their eyes light up as they all go past. Brown shrimps, pink ends, the oldie makes love em. <laughs> this time of year, when the holiday season's over, we're relying on the locals for trade, so she sells them from the window of our house. Sits there all day, she do. It's quiet at the minute, but the herring fleet's due back soon. If the herring catches good, our trade'll pick up. But a bad year for the herring means a bad year for us too, because the money just won't be about. 1913's expected to be a bumpy air for the heron, ain't Alice? We live in Oberry. That's us, a team. We live together, work together and hope together. Oh, you can never tell with the heron. There's good years and bad years. They reckon 1913 should be a good un. And as sure as my name's Eliza Swan, I hope they're right. With a young child and another on the way, I'm dependent on it. Walter, my husband, has been away with the fleet in the north. He's due back any day now, so we'll know soon enough. Waiting to hear about the catch is the worst bit. 
but there's plenty to do. I have some of those Scots fisher girls lodging with me during the season. They pay three bob a week each, and I'm busy getting things ready for them right now. I always get the furniture out of the way before they come. Well, they didn't need anything more than the bed. They carry their belongings in trunks, or kists, as they call them. And they're happy to sit on these while they're staying here. I make them put their royalties outside in a row when they come back at nights, but Walter still reckons they stink the place out. I don't know what he thinks he smells like when he gets back from the sea, but he probably didn't notice that. You've got to keep your eye on them girls, though. Some of husbands and suitors have come off the boots. Last year I made it quite clear to him I'm having none of that going on under my roof. And you can wipe that smile off your face, Walter Swan, because that includes you while we got lodgers. You should have seen Walter's face, but I told him, if you want a house to yourself, you'd better start earning more. Godliness and cleanliness. You can't have one without the other. I mean, look at that Alice Lamb who lives just along the way. When the collection plate comes round in church on a Sunday, she always makes sure everyone sees how much she puts in. Who does she think she is? She calls her husband the captain, just because he had a share in a book before he died. Well, my Walter ain't no captain, but the sheets on his bed are clean, which is more than you can say for some. Well, as we won't be needing some of the furniture for a bit, Mr Curry might as well look after it. Not that I'm one for a pawnbroker's, but that's got to be stored somewhere, hasn't it? Well, I hope that gave you a little bit of insight into various accents from across the country. And um, that's about all for now from TGP Extra. Don't forget... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com. That would be fantastic if you could. Take care, one and all. I'll speak to you again soon. The Garbage Pod is a Spamhead production.